today. Thank you, brother. Appreciate God bless it. you. Good morning. It is, um, it is a blessing to be with you all this morning. We, uh, we thoroughly enjoyed uh, being with you guys for Sunday school. And um, so my name is Jacob and my wife, Sydney, uh, is here with me as well. So we've been married uh, just a little over a year and a half now. And uh, our, our role involves uh, traveling across the country. So um, let's see, just a couple weeks ago, we were in Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, which is on the other coast. And so it's been cool to make our way this direction. And uh, we, we love what we do. So we're, we travel on behalf, as was mentioned, with a Faith Baptist Bible College. I really won't take too much time uh, th- this morning um, to talk about the school. I, I think the plan is kind of tonight. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more details. We do have a table back there as well. Um, but really the heart of the college, it's, it's kind of since its inception, has been um, really ministry training. And that's where I, um, that's uh, well, how I ended up going there. I shared my testimony this morning of a, a bit of a unique path to get there, but God's been really kind. And then Sydney and I met there. Uh, the college uh, started in 1921, so we just turned 100 last year. Um, and so it's been just neat to see God's faithfulness in that as well. But uh, that's who we are, what we do. Uh, we, we, uh, a bulk of our schedule is Christian schools as well, um, so chapels and things like that. And so our, our kind of ministry trajectory is we'll finish traveling this summer, and then uh, we are joining a church uh, just south of Minneapolis, uh, so in Minnesota. Uh, Sydney's a, a Minnesotan native, and uh, so it's a church that's uh, just in a southern suburb of, of um, Minneapolis called Prior Lake, and uh, I'll join there as a pastoral assistant, and uh, there's a Christian school as well, so that's kind of where our trajectory is going. It's kind of towards ministry, but we are, we are, we are thoroughly blessed to be with you guys today. Um, this is our first time in California, so it's been, it's been really neat. So we're both Midwest kids. I'm from Illinois, and uh, so the, before this, the farthest west I had been is Denver, and so uh, we got to, we started this trip in Denver and got to come over to mountains. I talked about that this morning, but just blew our minds. It was amazing. Uh, to see that uh, you can basically stand on your tiptoes and see the other side of the state when you're in Iowa. It is about as flat as you're imagining as it is. Um, you're welcome for producing all of the corn in the country, so there's a purpose for it being that flat, but, uh, uh, but we, we love it, and so we're, we're really thankful. So um, my, my heart this morning is to share, uh, I'll be in First Timothy chapter 1, and um, so there's a lot I could tell. I kind of shared testimony this morning um, but kind of the brief trajectory of life is I, I never really saw myself in a Christian school. I never saw myself moving towards ministry, but, but God was really kind. Um, I, I joked that this morning when I was thinking about college uh, and kind of thinking about my life, uh, what I would do after and those kinds of things, the last thing I ever wanted to do, uh, I, actually, I actually swore I would never go to a Christian college. Um, and I, I gave the full version of that uh, this morning, but really that was not where I, I kind of saw myself, uh, but God in his kindness used the discipleship of actually a man who's a graduate from my college, he's my youth pastor, and um, so it, it, God was really uh, incredibly kind, but I, I kind of thought my life would be spent doing the only things I was ever really good at, which was like hitting people, basically, so I loved like football and martial arts were my two great loves growing up, so any opportunities that I got to hit people was kind of my, really my only skill set, uh, and so did not think public speaking is where I would, I, I would go, but um, God used kind of some things late in high school. But um, that, uh, I say that in context of this. So I, I was going through this passage. So 1 Timothy 1, where, where we're going to get to eventually is Paul using this language of waging good warfare. And so as a young man, as many young men, just kind of the testosterone, the, the language of violence kind of speaks to me, but maybe even me a little more particularly with kind of what my interests were. But I, I happen to be reading this, man, it was a little while back now. I was studying through First and Second Timothy and Titus. I was kind of walking through, we call them the, the, the pastoral epistles. 
And as a young man, um, you, those, these are incredibly helpful to be in, especially one who's oriented towards ministry. So I was working through these, getting to 1 Timothy 3, but I kind of got stopped here because Paul was using this language of waging warfare. And I thought it was interesting that he was using that as an analogy, um, talking to Timothy, but that just captured my imagination as someone who has a possibly slightly unhealthy affinity for violence. <laughs> and so it just got my imagination going. But I was like, why? You know, if you read this passage, it, it kind of pops up. Uh, not out of nowhere, but it is interesting that Paul uses this language of warfare. But I think as we look at First Timothy 1 as a whole, it, it gives us a little bit of insight. And so really what's going on, um, Paul, you know, of course, is writing this to his young disciple, Timothy. He's um, been training Timothy, and now Timothy is going to be going out on his own. So as you get into the beginning of chapter 1, uh, in verse 3, he starts talking about the plans he has for Timothy. So in First Timothy one chapter, First th- uh, Timothy chapter one verse three says, "As I besought thee uh, to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they treat, uh, teach no other doctrine." So, so what's going on is Paul is charging or commanding Timothy uh, basically to engage in ministry. He's going to become a, a pastor in in the church of Ephesus, and he's going to have to confront um, some false doctrines, some false teaching. And it's inter- as you study Timothy's character, he's somewhat interesting. There's kind of some indication that we get that Timothy might have been kind of a, a mild or a timid personality. Um, he was still probably on the younger side um, as, this, as this instruction was happening. And there's regularly Paul has to remind Timothy, let no one despise your youth. You know, be strong, be courageous. Uh, he gives him illustrations of being a soldier or being an athlete or being a farmer. He, he really seems to be trying to engage this idea of hard work and effort and grit. Um, and something you can you can almost tell that Paul is speaking to a younger man, but Timothy might have needed this, and Timothy is now going to step into a context in which he's going to be doing ministry, but he is also going to have to confront uh, people's doctrine. You know, and as a young man, I, I can imagine walking into a ministry where many people are older than me, um, and then now having to tell them or even confront them, like, "Hey, what you believe is wrong," uh, and that would be intimidating, if not a little bit scary. And so Paul get, starts that, and then um, at the end of the chapter, he talks about waging good warfare. What happens in the middle is where I really want to delve today, really kind of verses 12 through 17 or so, because what I think Paul does is Paul is going to share his testimony with Timothy. And Timothy would have known all of this, right? Paul would have known, or Timothy would have known Paul's testimony. But what I think that Paul seems to be doing is he's challenging Timothy to go do something that is going to be difficult, something that is going to stretch and push him and he's, he uses this language of warfare to help with this idea. This is going to be hard, Timothy. But here, let me provide you some motivation. And Paul is going to share his testimony in, in a really unique way. And it seems to be as an example or as a push, you know, to use the warfare illustration to provide, like, the requisite ammunition for Timothy to go and do something difficult. And I think this, this passage for me, it, it's been helpful thinking about, you know, the, the Christian life being one that does involve difficulty. We talked a lot about that this morning of, of suffering um, in, in, in relation to the Christian life, and there are hard things that we must do, even as uh, I, I, I'm so thankful to hear that your pastor is encouraging you to invite uh, people to your Easter service. I don't know many of your personalities, but I'm guessing for some of you that's scary. Um, that can be intimidating for me too. I grew up in a public school context, and I remember the few times of inviting some unsaved friends to a church service or something like that, and just trembling, being being scared of really kind of just stepping out and identifying myself like, hey, this is what I believe. I take this seriously, and I want you to come. There are some hard things associated with being a Christian, and that doesn't even really scratch the surface 
I think what Paul does here is he is really going to preach the gospel to Timothy uh, to provide him a motivation, a drive to go and do something difficult. And I think it's helpful for us um, even to consider that this morning as we look at what Paul lays out of his own testimony of the impact of the gospel on him uh, to then drive Timothy to go and do something difficult. And I think there's room in the Christian life to be driven, to be motivated. Uh, coming from an athletic background, we think about that a lot. You think about the pregame speech in a locker room uh, with football players and, and the energy, the excitement. I remember watching teammates of mine ram their heads into lockers. Uh, was that smart? No. <laughs> Did it work? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it got us pretty fired up. It got us excited. I had coaches throwing trash cans and kicking chairs over. That excitement. Now, I'm not saying a lack of discernment or a lack of stewardship or being foolish, uh, but there is, I think there's ample room to be um, this, with this language of warfare, of an excitement, of even an intensity uh, in our approach to doing things for the sake of Christ because of what has been done on our account. Um, and I think Paul lays this out in a really helpful way. And so I, I really want to take a look at verses 12 and on. I'll read the first few and we'll walk our way through. So verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 1 says this, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I'm going to park there and, and identify a couple of things. So in verse 12, Paul is transitioning from giving Timothy instructions about the ministry, and then he kind of pivots and, and just starts talking about Christ. He says, and I thank Christ our Lord who hath enabled me. That's the idea of strengthening uh, Paul. And, and he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And obviously... If you've been in church at all, you've heard of Paul, and you, you know his testimony of, of being uh, saved uh, while he was traveling, actually going to persecute Christians, and then going and being one of the most effective servants of, of Christ that's really ever lived, and being massively used for the church. And so he's talking about this thankfulness, this gratitude that he has uh, to Christ, but he says, he counted me faithful, putting me in the, into the ministry, and that's really interesting when you read verse 13. It says, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. So I, I, Paul is really laying out for Timothy, reminding him what he was like prior to his conversion. And I think this is incredibly helpful for us. I, I, Sydney and I actually have been going through the book of Acts, kind of just in our own Bible reading together, and we just finished um, Stephen's martyrdom. So I, I kind of through in that, that like five through seven section of Acts, you kind of, you see the rising up of deacons, of servants, and of men like Philip, and then Stephen, and Stephen is preaching the gospel and eventually gets stoned, and the young man who held the coats and, and vigorously approved of the killing of a Christian was, was Saul, Paul, and, and then he would go on, and basically his, what he took as his role was crushing this uprising, this thing of Jesus of Nazareth. And he would go to cities, and, and he, would, he would basically, um, with the help of others, uh, break into homes, take Christians, men and women alike, and he would bring them to the chief priests, get them imprisoned, and he would advocate for their execution. So uh, the, the kidnap, uh, imprisonment, and uh, hopefully, in his mind, death, of any who claimed the name of Jesus as their religion. Uh, and he talks about a later chapters in the book of Acts, talks about um, uh, trying to get people to recant of their belief. So this idea of, of, of putting pressure on someone to deny their faith in Christ. And so we're talking about a man who did 
violence to the church at or including the death of people who claim the name of Christ. And, and I think it's, it's helpful for us. You know, Paul says he's a blasphemer, one who hates God, a, a persecutor, and injurious is basically just like nasty. <laughs> I mean, he was zealous. He was good at persecuting, killing the church. That was Paul. That, that was the reality of who he was. And I think he's reminding Timothy, and he does give the caveat there of, uh, because he acted ignorantly in unbelief. I do think Paul thought he was doing something good for God as a Pharisee, but then he was confronted on the road to Damascus by Christ himself, identifying himself as God and saying, Paul, you are persecuting me. And of course, we know Paul's story, we know his repentance, but can you imagine engaging in ministry with the same people group that you were previously trying to kill? Uh, (laughs) Seems pretty interesting to me. Uh, I can imagine how hard that would be. I can, at least in my own mind, my, my mind goes to the shame that Paul would feel. If people knew his name, because uh, you, you even look at that, that the account of Paul's conversion, and, and, and as God um, sends, in, uh, sends in a man to, um, to, to go and help Paul and actually pray over him to remove his blindness, uh, he's scared. <laughs> he's like, I, I know that name, and we, we run from that guy. We, we avoid that guy. And this man now goes and is, and is serving the church. And I don't know about you, but even in my own heart, there are things that I look back on that I've done, and my heart starts to break in shame over things that I have done, sins that I've committed, ways that I have broken God's law again and again and again, and my, my heart hurts. I can only imagine if that rap sheet in my life looked like killing Christians. And Paul lays this out, and then I think he's preaching verse 14 as much to Timothy, or as much as to himself as he is Timothy. He says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Right, so Paul, Paul says, the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. It, it basically, it, it overflowed. What Paul is identifying is that though his, his sin against Christ is so great, that the efficacy of Christ's death and burial and resurrection on the cross was more than enough. Right? More than effective, more than sufficient to wipe away even the sins that Paul had committed. Actually, what's so amazing is that what all that Paul could do, all the evil that he could mount up, Christ in one act of self-sacrifice wiped that away and gave Paul a completely clean slate in his, in his salvation. And so and, and what, what the reality is that even in our own lives, the, there is obviously, of course, a call to obedience that we ought to, as Christians, right, live our lives in such a way that's consistent with what's been done for us. But Paul is be reminding, I think, even himself of the grace of Christ and the reality that the ebbs and flows of Paul's obedience cannot put a dent and his standing before God, because his standing is not based on Paul's performance. His standing is based upon what Christ has done, and the reality that he's been justified, that he's been given a right status before God. And so the reality that the grace of our Lord is so effective, so powerful, and he says, with the faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So these two attributes, these things that drove Christ to the cross, right? His faithfulness to obey his Father, and the love that he had for those even who hated him, and he says that these things drove Christ Jesus, and this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. He lays this on so thick that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, yeah, and I'm, I'm the chief. <laughs> I'm the foremost. 
So Paul is, is looking at the depth of his sin and then is looking at the depth of what Jesus has accomplished and is just is praising him. And in verse 16, he, said, he goes on, he says, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So, so Paul kind of transitions, he says, for, for this cause, and this is a great you know, Bible study tip that I kind of learned even in, in my education. When you see the language of for this cause or for this reason, when you hear that kind of language, that's a, usually that's a purpose statement. Right? Paul is saying, like, this is the reason I was given mercy. Right? Because I, I, Paul, Christ could have crushed Paul, but instead he was extended the kindness, the mercy that was in him. And he says, because the reason was this, that in me first... Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So the, the idea is this. Jesus showed forth long-suffering. This idea of long-suffering, is, it's, a, it's a neat Bible study. The, the idea is basically to bear up under provocation. And so what that means is so to be provoked. You know, I, the best way I've ever thought to illustrate this is, like, I don't know if any of you in here have a, like a younger sibling. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was a younger sibling in my own family, but... Um, the ability that a younger sibling, like, I don't know, like the, like the I'm not touching you game in the back of the car, or just like the ability that a younger sibling has to like elicit wrath out of their other sibling, that's what I was really good at doing to my sister, right? That, that, that idea is provoking, right? I am, I am looking to elicit a response. That is to provoke, right? So then to bear up under provocation is the ability to be provoked and to not respond, right? To not respond with wrath. And so the idea here of having long-suffering or patience is the idea of being provoked to display wrath, but instead holding that, and then he extends mercy, right? Because the reality is that Christ being God, it was, it was, it had complete divine right and prerogative when, when Paul was killing his church to destroy him, right? To crush him, to wipe him off the face of the earth, and that would have been just, <laughs> And of course, what Christ did was not not justice. Christ satisfied justice by his own death. But what Christ did was instead of uh, that, that provocation, instead of in, in his righteousness, right, responding in crushing Paul, he offers him mercy. And he says he does that for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. This idea of pattern, uh, actually the, the, word, the, the word in the original language is where we get the word prototype. That's this idea of an example, a prototype. You think of Apple, you know, when they come out with the newest phone, and it's this idea of that there's, there's a prototype, there's something that's kind of put on display for others to see. It's this idea of an example being set up to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. The example is this. Paul identifies himself as the chief of sinners, right? We, we don't often think of, of sin in terms of hierarchy, category, but killing Christians would probably be near the top if we were to categorize sin. Right, someone who was, could not have been more opposed to Christ. He says, and that man was offered mercy, and others look at that man and see him offered mercy, like, oh, maybe I could be offered mercy too. Maybe I have not so, sinned so much right, that Christ could not save me. Maybe the, 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 the grace of Christ is so significant, so powerful, that it could save me too. Right? And so Paul was then set up as an example for others to look at and to believe, not in Paul, right, to, but to believe in what Christ had done, right, that he inserted himself into history and he had lived a perfect life 
and then he went to the cross, and he, and he died, and, and, he, and he rose again, and then he offers us atonement, a covering, a forgiveness of our sins. And because Christ was perfect, because he is God, but also man, the reality is that sacrifice is more than sufficient to wash away your sins. And so as, 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 as Paul is preaching this, he says, I was given this mercy, of course, to save Paul, but then his life was put on display as an example of look at the mercy of Jesus. Look at the way he is long-suffering. Look at the way that he is kind. And Paul, I love verse 17. He just explodes. He says, Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And that just like preaches itself, right? <laughs> he just explodes in worship of, of God who's been so kind, and, and the, this paradox that it's hard for us to imagine of God who is so kind, yet so powerful. And both of those realities exist in the God that we serve. And he says, that God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He just praises Christ for how great a salvation he has been given. And he does all of this, and he gets back to his point. <laughs> that was a parenthesis. Verse 18, this charge... I commit unto thee, son Timothy. And then he, he breaks off again. It says, according to the prophecies which went on before thee. And there's, there's some debate over that, but basically that there was uh, some prophecy kind of about Timothy's life and the kind of ministry that he would have. It says that thou by them, might, thou, um, by them mightest war a good warfare. So wage a good warfare, war a good warfare, fight a good fight. So he, he has this ex- extremely significant and like deep parenthesis And I think he does all of this to then drive Timothy to this point of like, hey, Timothy, you're going to go, you're going to do ministry, and it is going to be hard. Here is the motivation, right? Here is the drive. And then he even contrasts it in these last two verses, his holding faith and a good conscience. And he reminds them that some have have gone away, and he talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander, uh, that they they, they have blasphemed God. And he's, he's reminding Timothy of what is at stake as people's souls. And so it really seems that Paul is giving kind of a, a thesis statement, a, a, a telos, a drive for Timothy of go and do this, and here is why. And, I, and I, as I mentioned, I think there's, there's ample room in the Christian life to be motivated <laughs> uh, because of these realities. And when we are not, it's because we're probably not focusing on what has been done for us. And I, I happened to be, when I was first going through this text, um, I was driving a lot. I was actually traveling a little bit solo just before Sydney and I were married and um, I was listening to a podcast. We listen to a lot of like podcasts and audiobooks on the road because uh, we have long drives. And I was listening to this podcast by this guy named Jocko Willink. Um, if you're not familiar with his name, uh, he's, a, he's a former Navy SEAL, um, now does kind of some things in the business world. But the short version is Jocko is known for basically this extreme uh, discipline. Uh, Jocko's a, yeah, like he was, was a Navy SEAL, uh, men under his command. There's been multiple movies based on uh, what some of the men under his command did. If you've ever heard of the movie American Sniper, um, Chris Kyle was under Jocko's command. Um, and Jocko now is a, one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, martial arts practitioners on the planet. So basically he could kill you like right up close, but he could also kill you like a thousand yards away with a sniper rifle. Like the guy's terrifying. And we're probably one of the most dangerous people on the planet and he now is kind of in the business world, but he is known for waking up at absurd hours and like three-hour workouts, and he's kind of has this aura of like discipline and almost insane intensity, and so as this podcast began to get popular, people would write in and ask him why he was like this, like 
he's in his 50s now. Like, why are you still living like you're in boot camp? <laughs> why are you like this? And he responded with a story of what one of his men did and says that it's driven him to this day. And uh, that story, if I can be somewhat concise with it, was basically that there was a guy under Jocko's command. Uh, his name was Mikey, Mikey Monsoor. And uh, Mikey was a machine gunner, big dude, strong. Um, I mean, all Navy SEALs are usually strong, uh, but he was pretty exceptional even in that fact. And so carried a pretty heavy machine gun, and they were, happened to be in an operation where he was helping two snipers, uh, guys on his right and left, kind of providing overwatch over this situation. Um, and they, they were there, and uh, they had been awake, the story said, for probably close to 48 hours at this point because of the operation tempo. So they were exhausted, trying to stay awake, and now they're just sitting on this rooftop um, and trying to kind of stay coherent. <laughs> and um, so Mikey is sitting there kind of between his two friends, and something thuds him in the chest. And never good, right, in a warfare situation. And Mikey looks down, and there's a grenade that's in between his feet. And so a, a grenade got lobbed up onto the roof. It actually hit Mikey in the chest before it had gone off. And so Mikey kind of gets awoken out of his stupor and quickly processes what's going on, right? Sees a live grenade at his feet, processing the situation. And the, the write-up that uh, was done about this, uh, it was on a uh, basically Medal of Honor uh, website, said that Mikey was the only person who had an avenue of escape because he was the only person that was aware that it happened, right? His, uh, the, the men to his right and his left were not even aware and so Mikey had maybe a second or two and probably could have cleared enough distance to get away from the blast. But you probably know where this is going and you probably understand that that's not what Mikey did. Right? Mikey processed that there's a guy to his right and his left. Mikey also knew that both of them had kids and he didn't. And uh, we can only assume his motivations that Mikey decided to drop down on top of the grenade uh, to put his chest on it and to smother the blast. And um, both the men to his right and his left, they caught some shrapnel, but they're alive today and uh, Mikey didn't make it. Uh, lasted about 10 minutes and, uh, and then passed. And um, Jocko actually was, had an interview with one of the men that was on this rooftop, uh, a guy with the last name Sorelli. And he was telling the story and he was processing what it was like and he said, I wake up every morning and I think about Mikey. And I, what it makes me do is give myself a brutal, honest self-assessment. So basically what he's saying is I, I look at what has been done on my account and I then assess, am I living my life right now in such a way that is consistent with what has been done for me? And you're seeing the connection already, I, I imagine. I was listening to this, this podcast and, you know, of course then you think about sacrifice and there's something in our hearts um, as humans. Our hearts just extol when we hear stories of self-sacrifice. And I think it's because that's written on our heart by our creator to love that. Because the greatest story of all <laughs> of self-sacrifice, right, is one that was wrought on our account, and it's the same God we worship, of course. And so my heart just started to think about that, and I, I started to just get really emotional. And, and Jocko kind of finished the interview by saying that event that has now happened about 15 years ago is the thing that is driving him today to be uh, disciplined to a level where people question his sanity. <laughs> and it made me assess my own life and made me ask if I'm living my life in such a way that's consistent with what has been done for me, right? And of course, and I, I have no intention of, of belittling that sacrifice because it is incredible for a man to lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5 speaks of that beauty. But the reality is that any and all people who have repented and trusted in Christ as their Savior, that your story includes that a little over 2,000 years ago, someone died for you. And that someone was the God-man, 
right? The only perfect person who has ever existed. And if that actually is true, if that is actually the content of what I believe, then how am I living my life in such a way that is consistent with what has been done for me? Right? Someone has died for you. And, and then I, we look at our own lives and we, we, we get caught up in our, our details or we get scared or nervous to share about this reality with someone else. And I, and I hope that this here, any, any what I'm saying convicts me first. <laughs> but I, 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 I live my life often in a way that has no bearing, and the, 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 the death of Christ has very little bearing on, on what I do on a day-to-day basis. And, and how could that be? If a man could die for another man and it can drive him to discipline for 15 years, and if I can read God's word and recognize that someone has died for me, and, and, and minute by minute, <laughs> my motivation ebbs and flows, right, to live for the sake of Christ. And, and um, I think there's a lot to consider there, of course, but I, as I think of what Paul was doing with this text, I think there's some similarities there in providing Timothy with a really visceral picture of the gospel because it's setting up the example of one of the worst people that could exist <laughs> and then what Christ is capable of doing for him. And he's saying, Timothy, look at this and now go, right? Providing a, a gospel-infused motivation to do hard things. And I, and I think there's room for that, for us to consider that even as we look at our own lives. Am I living in such a way that's consistent with what has been done on my account? As if the God-man died for me. And I, and I don't know any of you well enough to make personal application uh, for that, but whether that looks like the repentance of sin um, or whether that looks like the boldness to share the gospel with my, with my friends, with my neighbors, uh, whether that looks like just the, the regular uh, the ebbs and flows of my life have a greater devotion to Christ, or that I even need to put some things in my life where I regularly remind myself of the gospel. If, if I would look at this text and I, I would see the God that causes Paul to say now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The, the God that has caused Paul to explode into praise and the God that caused Paul to go and bear immense suffering for the sake of the gospel. Um, and if I would allow that mirror to reflect on my own life, um, there would likely be some changes. Um, and I, and I don't know any of you well enough, of course, to, like I said, to make that personal application. But I just hope that is a, an, a challenge uh, and an encouragement to you, um, not something that is meant to beat you up, <laughs> uh, but it's something that, is that helps you hopefully to look fresh at the cross. Uh, when, we, when we think about sacrifice, I think the, I think the gospel, the, the instance of the gospel of Christ dying on the cross can be so far away for us and so... Um, I don't know, so, so great a distance that it's hard for us to fathom that, but if we, if we can consider this in light of what it looks like for someone to die for someone else and how that affects and drives people today, um, could we not even then see how that should impact our own lives <laughs> when the reality is that the one who died for us um, is the same one who created the world? And so I, I hope that is a challenge and an encouragement, as I mentioned, and uh, we are looking forward to being around today. Um, would love to get to meet you to talk about faith, talk about what's going on in our lives and ministries. But um, ultimately, I hope that as you consider this language of waging a good warfare, that's in injected some theology into it, of that uh, the, the, the motivation that Paul is providing Timothy is by him looking at the gospel, uh, and then that provides him a willingness to go and do very hard things 
uh, for the sake of Christ because that is consistent with what...